what's a promise? A promise is a, uh, a guarantee, right? That a particular thing will happen. It's an assurance that someone is going to do a particular thing. It implies, a promise implies that whatever it is, right? That whatever that promise is, it'll be kept. It'll be seen through. It's a guarantee. It's an oath. It's a pledge. It's a covenant. It's a commitment. It's a contract. My son Hudson is, uh, he likes to direct movies with the neighborhood kids. And even though they never actually ever finish anything, they start. He has an idea of how he wants to shoot the movie and how he wants them to act as the actors in the movie. And the last time he went to go do this, uh, it didn't go as well as he had hoped because the actors are rebellious and they won't listen to the director. And so he went in the house and he wrote up contracts and he went outside and he made them sign them (laughs) that they would do as he said they would do, and he would pay them a dollar. And then the movie just folded right after that. <laughs> and that's what a promise is. So far, God has promised Abraham this. Uh, Acts, 7, chapter verse, Acts chapter 7, verse 3 tells us that back when Abraham was still in the land of the Chaldeans, God told him to come into the land that I will show you. He reaffirmed that promise with Abraham when Abraham was in Haran. Remember, Abraham left with his father. They went to Haran, and they stayed there until his father passed. So while he was in, that's in Genesis chapter 12. So in Genesis chapter 12, God reaffirmed that promise with Abraham, and he said, go forth. Right? He says, go to the land which I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great. I will make you a blessing to others. Right? I will bless those who bless you. I will curse those who curse you. In you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. And just in case you wanted to know what all the families of the earth meant, it means all the families of the earth. Not just the Israelites, right? Not just the Jews. Because believe it or not, Abraham wasn't a Jew. Okay? It tells us in Galatians chapter 3, verses 7 through 9, it says, Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham, and the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. So the entire world, everybody, can be blessed through Abraham because of Abraham's faith. Right? It wasn't just Israel, it wasn't just, it's not just the Jews. Abraham had been called Hebrew, but Hebrew just means, Hebrew, the word Hebrew in Hebrew <laughs> just means one from beyond. So when they call Abraham a Hebrew, which they did last chapter, they're just saying he's the one from beyond. All right? But Abraham was a Gentile who was chosen by God to be the ancestor of the Jewish people. All right? And the term Jew is just a shortened form of the word Judah, which was the name of one of the tribes of Israel, none of which exist yet, right? So anyway, so he tells, so he's made these promises to Abraham, go into the land which I will show you. And he also tells Abraham in Genesis chapter 12, he says, to your descendants, I will give this land. 
And then in chapter 13 of Genesis, he tells Abram, listen, look up your eyes. Look up. Lift up your head. Right? Quit being downcast. Look up to the heavens. Look north, south, east, west. All the land that you see, he said, I will give to you and your descendants forever. But you notice God says, I will give during these times. Right? I will make your descendants as the dust of the earth, he says. So he tells Abram then, he says, arise and walk. Go over all the land. I will give this to you. Those are God's promises to Abraham. That's God's covenant with Abraham. Well, it's going to continue on here in this chapter. We're going to read all of Genesis chapter 15. It's not that long. It's only 21 verses. It's about just as long as the verses we read during worship. Just kidding. Maybe it's a little shorter. My computer's talking back to me. Computers. Genesis chapter 15. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram. I am your shield, and your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look towards heaven and number the stars. If you are able to number them, if you are able to number them. And then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. And he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out from the Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. But he said, this is Abram speaking, O Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess it? And he said to him, Bring me a heifer three years old, a female goat three years old, a ram three years old, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And he brought him all these, cut them in half, laid them half each half over against each other, but he did not cut the birds in half. And when the birds of prey came down on the carcasses, Abram drove them away. And as the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram, and behold, dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. And the Lord said to Abram, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs, and will be servants there, and they will be afflicted for 400 years, but I will bring judgment on that nation that they serve, and afterward they shall come out with great possessions. And as for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried in a good old age. And they shall come back here in the fourth generation, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. And when the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. And on that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, To your offspring I give this land, from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates, the land of the Kenites, the Kenizzites, the Kadamites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Rephium, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Girgashites, and the Jebusites. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the promises of your word. I thank you for the promises that we have in Jesus. And I thank you, Lord, that those promises rely nothing on us and everything on you. And I thank you, Lord, for the encouragement and the strength and the hope that's found in that. Thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, think about this. All the events of chapter 14, which we went over last week, right? the kings of the north make war. They come down from Babylon and Persia. They charge through Canaan, right? down around the Dead Sea and back up. And they take all kinds of people hostage. They take all their possessions. 
which included, of course, Abraham's nephew, Lot. So Abram takes 318 men. He jumps into the fray. He chases out the four kings, humiliates them, defeats them, and he brings back all the possessions and all the people. It was a great victory. It was a victory from the Lord. Abraham knew that. Blessed be the God most high who has delivered your enemies into your hand, is what Melchizedek told Abram. Abram knew it was true. I mean, the king of Sodom came out, and he was so excited, and he tells Abram, listen, take, take all the wealth. Take everything. Right? Just give me my people. But you take all the riches, you take all the spoils of the war. But Abraham wasn't interested. Right? He was a man of integrity now. He had lifted his hand to the Lord, God most high, right? possessor of heaven and earth. And it says, and Abraham says, I will not take a thread or a sandal strap right? or anything that is yours. Well, not gonna, I'm not going to take any of those things. Everything he needed, he had through God. So now here we pick up in chapter 15. And it says, sometime after these things. Okay? So sometime after all these events that we just read about last week, the word of the Lord comes to Abram in a vision. Right? After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision and says, Fear not, Abram. I am your shield. I am your great reward. Right? Your translation may phrase it a little different, but that is what is being said. So obviously, if the Lord tells you to fear not, that means you're afraid of something. Right? So why was Abraham... Afraid. What was Abraham afraid of? Let me tell you. The adrenaline had worn off. The adrenaline had worn off. Right? The reality of the events that he just went through are now sinking in. Right? And Abram is probably a little freaked out, quite frankly. Maybe a little regretful maybe a little remorseful. Maybe his mind is racing with all these questions, with all these thoughts. Maybe his mind, well, it's not really a maybe. He was scared. He was scared. He's probably thinking to himself, what have I done? I am the most stupid person alive. I can't believe I went and chased out those four kings from Babylon and Persia. What was I thinking, right? Those four kings are going to go back to their kingdoms. They're going to regroup. They're going to put on some new armor. They're going to change their underwear. And they're going to grab their swords. And they're going to come back out and kill me. That's what they're going to do, right? So he was afraid. Abraham was afraid. They're going to come slice and dice me up for the Friday night barbecue. I'm the main meal. They're going to come and take me out. There's a bounty on my head now. Without a doubt, I need to run and hide. Right? He was afraid. I'm going to have to change my name. I'm going to have to shave my head. Right? I'm going to have to start wearing glasses so they don't recognize me. You know, like Clark Kent. No one ever could tell he was Superman. Right? What have I done? Is probably what Abram was thinking about now. What have I done? But not just that. Probably, I can't believe I said no. 
to all those riches. I can't believe I said no to all that wealth. I mean, a little extra for the savings account is not going to kill anybody. It would have been good, right? We could stock, put a little away. Who knows when we have an emergency? Can't believe I did that, right? I'm so stupid. Maybe I should have taken just a little. Maybe I should have taken one bag, right, of gold. You think I offended the king of Sodom because I told him I didn't want any of his wealth? You think he's mad at me now too? Because I live closer to him than I do the four kings, right? You get so, you know, all these things possibly racing through his head. So God shows up, right? It says, the word of the Lord came to him in a, in a vision. And the word of the Lord addresses both those things right off the bat. He says, Abraham, fear not. Don't be afraid. First, I am your shield. I am. I already told you I was going to bless those who bless those and curse those who curse you, right? Bless those who bless you, curse those who curse you. I already promised you that. I already promised I would protect you. I already promised I would provide for you. I am your shield. I am your great reward. I am. Right? Fear not, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand, as it says in Isaiah. Fear not, Abram. Don't worry about those things. Right? I am. I am. Right? You guys remember the first I? I mean, this is the first I am statement in the Bible. You guys understand the importance of the I am statements. Specifically, of course, in the Gospel of John, where we focus on seven I am statements in, in, the, in the Gospel of John, even though there's more than seven in the Gospel of John. But this is the first I am statement in the Bible, right? It's the first use of I am. It's the first use of shield. It's the first use of reward. It's the first use of vision. It's the first use of fear not. It's the first use of all these things, right? It's the first use of the word word. And, you know, and it's a reference to the word of God, not the word of man. Because God's word is more important than men's. Right? So this is the first I am statement in the Bible. So in John, in the Gospel of John, Jesus says things like, I am the living bread. I am the light of the world. I am the door. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the true vine. But Jesus says more than that in the Gospel of John as well. If you go all the way back to Exodus chapter 3, verse 14, understanding God's use of the word I am and understanding what it means. When Moses is going to the Pharaoh, Moses tells God, he says, suppose I go, to the Is- suppose I go and I say to them, to the Israelites, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, well, what's his name? Right? Well, what's the name of the God of my fathers? You can see him, you know. You tell us, Moses, come on. Right? What did I tell them? And what does God tell Moses to say? I am who I am. Right? This is what you're to say to the Israelites, God tells Moses. I am has sent me to you. I am. They understood what that was. Right? But here's the thing. In the Gospel of John, Jesus, in answering questions to the religious leaders and such, he says, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. They're like, you don't, you're not even 50 years old. You could have never met Abraham, right? God said, and Jesus tells them, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. 
if, that, if those I am statements aren't as important as we think they are, then why did they immediately want to kill Jesus? Right? right after he said that, they wanted to stone him. Right? That was blasphemy. Why? Because he was declaring himself to be God. Right? If anyone tells you that Jesus never claimed to be God, they've never read the Gospel of John. Read the Gospel of John with them and explain it. That's what we're going to be going through next if we ever finish the book of Genesis. These I am statements are powerful declarations. And this is the first one right here to Abraham. I am your shield. I am your great reward. Abraham, you know it. Everything that you need is found in me. You have it. Fear not, Abraham. Fear not. But Abraham has a question. Right? God appears to him in a vision and comforts him. But Abraham has a question. It's a sincere question. Right? It says, okay, Lord, you've promised all these things. You've promised all this. However, right, what will you give me for I continue childless and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. Right? You've given me no offspring and a member of my household will be my heir. We get questions like this in our walk with the Lord when we start to worry, we start to get anxious, and we start to doubt the promises of God. Because we don't see things being fulfilled like we thought they were going to be. We don't see things happening the way that we expect them to happen. It bears repeating, I've mentioned this quite a few times, but worry and anxiety are the catalyst. They're the fuel that drives the engines of doubt and security and fear. They're like this little gang of hooligans. Right? They run together. They're tightly knit and woven with the same DNA. We can't really tell them apart often. Worry is a bad seed that once planted, no matter how innocently, never really produces good fruit. So the solution to that is don't let that worry or that doubt plant itself. Take it to the Lord. Abraham is taking it to the Lord. He's not letting it just sit inside him and gnaw him up from the inside out while he worries about these things. I don't, I don't have any heirs. This stranger, this servant right, that I picked up in Damascus, he is my heir by you know, law of the land. I don't have a son. He doesn't let that gnaw at him from the inside and never address it. He says, Lord... How? What are you going to give me? How is this going to unfold? Right? He gives it to the Lord. And the Lord replies. Right? The Lord, the word of the Lord comes to him again. And the Lord says, Abram, quit your whining. Okay, maybe he doesn't say that exactly. But he says, this man shall not be your heir. Haven't I already promised this for you, Abram? Haven't I already told you this? Quit whining. Right? This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And again, he brings him outside. And again, he basically tells him to lift your head, Abram. And this time, instead of the sands or, or direction or telling him to look east and, and west and north and south and all this, he just tells him, look up at the stars, Abram. Number them. 
Number the stars. Can you do that? Can you number the stars? Because that's how great your offspring shall be. Abram's like, I can't count all that. I mean, there's billions of stars out there. I can't count all the stars. So God's just like, quit whining. Your heir is not going to be Eleazar. You're going to have your own son. Quit being downcast. Look up. Look towards heaven. Right? There's a quote that says, when the outlook is bleak, outlook is bleak try the uplook. Right? When you're looking around trying to answer your questions or solve your problems or, or and that, you know, and, all, and everything that you're looking around trying to figure out your solution for hasn't worked, look up. Look up to the Lord. Bring your problems to Him. So those problems don't plant themselves and cause more problems as they grow in doubt and insecurity and anxiety and things like that. Number of the stars. Right? There's billions and billions out there. Can you number them? And the Lord is just reminding Abram of what he had promised him back in Genesis 13. Right? So shall your offspring be. So many that they can't be counted. They can't be counted, Abram. Trust in me. It's going to be all right. And this is the most important verse in the whole chapter, if not the whole book, if not the entire Old Testament. It says, and he believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteousness. Some people call that the John 3.16 verse of the Old Testament. Martin Luther said concerning this verse, he said, when the article of justification has fallen, everything has fallen. Right? This is the chief article from which all other doctrine has flowed. It alone begets, nourishes, builds, preserves, and defends the church of God. And without it, the church of God cannot exist for an hour. Right? Romans 4, James 2, Galatians 3, they all reference this verse in Genesis. It's the justification by faith. Right? Counted to him means imputed. That's a, you know, it's a accounting term. It means credited to his account. So it says, Abram believed God and God credited it to Abram's account. Righteousness. Just because he believed the Lord. That was it. Right? Justification by faith. It's the same yesterday, today, and forever. God doesn't change. People like to tell you, well, the God of the Old Testament is different than the God of the New Testament. And now we have the new covenant, and now we are saved by grace. But back then, no, it was the same back then. God operated exactly the same way, right? He operated exactly the same way. But with Jesus, I mean, that's what it looks like for us. When you put your faith in Jesus, when your, your sins then at that point are put on Jesus's account, right? He took them to the cross. And righteousness through Jesus has now been credited to your account. For grace you have been saved through faith. And that is not your own doing. It is for the gift of God. It is not a result of works that no one may boast. It is by grace. Your works will never save you. Never. I heard it put this way. If you believe in in your self-righteousness that that you will find salvation through your good deeds. Through your works. That you can earn your way to heaven. If you believe you can earn your way to heaven, then guess what? You are deceived. You're deluded. What trump card do you think you're holding that's going to get you in to heaven? Right? Because we all need Jesus. 
our works will never save us. Right? You know, works versus faith. It's that age-old battle, in a sense. Because our works make us feel good. We, we kind of like to work things off. We kind of like to do things that way because it builds us up and it makes us feel good that we've accomplished stuff. And other people, we know other people look at it and go, hey, man, you're doing a great job. That's really good. And you feel proud of your works. Right? You get rewards maybe at your work for how well you do or you, know, you get bonuses. It's all based on your works. It's great. Our works are fantastic. But they won't get you to heaven. You never find salvation through your works. Right? One of the best examples I can give has come from this last couple of weeks in our household because we're trying on this diet where we're trying to do no corn. Let me tell you, it's impossible. <laughs> right? It is absolutely impossible. There is almost nothing that doesn't have corn in it. Right? And if you really, if you go in and you start memorizing the names of corn, not just corn syrup or corn starch or high fructose corn syrup, the things you know, right, that say corn, that are easy to figure out. You look at all, you start memorizing all the other names that I can't even repeat to you. That means it was made with corn. And you carry this list around with you in your pocket so that when you go to the grocery store, you can double check every single item that you purchase to make sure it doesn't have one of these things like guar gum or some of these other ingredients that are made of corn, right? Guess what? Everything has corn in it. Everything has corn in it. So we're going through Costco and we're picking out stuff, right? And the kids are really trying hard. They are, right? Except when Julie turns her back. But the kids are, <laughs> are really trying hard, right? The reading the ingredients when they grab stuff. Hudson is, I mean, this, we're really doing this for Hudson. Hudson is really trying. He's looking at the list. Okay. Well, there's, oh, there's corn. I want this. Oh, there's corn. Oh, I want this. There's corn. Right? And I told him, if you try to live by the law, you have to keep all the law. And guess what? You can't. You can't. <laughs> Which is why you need grace. Right? Which is why you need grace. Because no matter how hard you try, you're going to fail. Right? My, when my favorite ice cream has corn in it. <laughs> I can tell you the battle's over. But you're trying. But you can't. You can't live up to it. Because if you're going to follow the law, you've got to uphold the entire law, and you can't uphold the entire law. Which is why we need grace. So the Lord says this to Abram. He says, I am the Lord. That's basically what he tells him. I am the Lord who brought you out of the Ur of Chaldeans, and I brought you out to give you this land to possess. Right? He's reaffirming who he is with Abram again. This is why you need me. This is who I am. This is why you can trust me. Right? It's reaffirming his promises with Abraham. But Abraham still has more questions. Which is fine. We always think we're not allowed to ask God questions. But God's like, I'm ready for it. Bring them on. Right? We'll get more into this as we go through Genesis with one of my favorite conversations between Jesus and Abram. But Abram says, he says, how am I to know that I'm going to possess it? Right? How am I to know? It's one thing for you to tell me that I will. 
right? But how am I to know? It's an honest question. It's not a sign of unbelief. This is not a question that comes from doubt. He's just looking for some assurance. He's, you know, I mean, Abram was confident in the promises of the Lord. But the land was currently in the possession of about 10 pagan nations or so. Right? So, so Abram's confident in the promises of the Lord, but he looks out at the land and he says, uh, you know, we got a little bit of a problem. There's all these other pagan nations living here. How will I know when I possess this? I mean, it's one thing to own the land. It's another thing to possess the land. Right? Abraham's desire to understand was greater than his doubt in the Lord's promises. His faith here was greater than his fear concerning what the Lord had told him and promised him. He wasn't going to live in that doubt. He, he, he took that doubt, if that was doubt. It was honest doubt, if it was. He took those questions and he brought them to the Lord. He said, well, what about this? Basically what he said was, I believe, help my unbelief. That's basically what Abraham is saying to God. Right? Which is something you can only say by faith. See, Abraham was not denying God's promises. He desired God's promises. He was just looking for some assurance. I look out on the land that you say that you're going to give me. I see 10 other nations living here. How will I know? How will I know? Now, this is where it gets really interesting. Because God's going to tell him exactly. But I have to tell you, be careful what you ask for. Okay? If you continue to ask a certain question, maybe, the Lord's going to answer it for you. But do you want him to answer it for you? Do you want him to answer it? I'm not saying it's a bad thing. Well, I'm just saying that Abraham did not know how the Lord was going to answer this question. He had no idea how the Lord was going to answer this question. He was looking for an assurance here, and the Lord's like, all right, I'll give you what you're asking. I'll let you know, Abraham. I'm going to assure you. Do this first, right? Go get these, go get these animals, right? Bring me a heifer. Bring me a female goat. Bring me a ram. Bring me a turtle dove. Bring me a young pigeon. Bring me these animals. I'm going to answer this for you. Obey me. Okay, so Abraham goes and obeys him. He grabs all this thing. This ritual is known as cutting the covenant. And the parties involved would sacrifice some animals and they would cut them in half and they would divide them up and they would place the halves on opposite sides. And then the parties involved would walk between the, the pieces as a declaration, right? A declaration basically stating that if they failed to keep their promise, their covenant, then they deserve the same fate as the animals that they had just cut up in half and walked between. I'm sure Abram knew exactly what this ritual was and what it meant and what the Lord was asking. Because Abraham stays there. He, he chases away, you know, all the, uh, the birds of prey that come to try to feed on the carcasses and everything like that. I mean, he's protecting the whole thing because what is he waiting for? He's waiting for God to come down and sign the covenant with him. He's waiting for God to come down and walk through it. That's what he's waiting for. So he knows, he understands the importance. And if you want to know more about cutting the covenant, you can look at Jeremiah 34, for example. 
But God's not going to do this exactly as man does it or as it's done between two parties or two men or something like that. It's not how God's going to do it. He's going to do this ritual slightly different. So Abraham does everything that's asked for him. He's waiting for God to come sign the contract. And it says, as the sun was going down in verse 12, a deep sleep fell on Abram, and behold, a dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. Abraham went to sleep. Right? A deep sleep fell on him. And a dreadful and great darkness, it says. Why? Why? I mean, it's one thing for Abraham to fall asleep. If it just said Abraham nodded off, right? We would understand. Because it's late and he's been, up, he's been chasing away birds for a long time, waiting for God to show up, and he just got tired and nodded off, right? But no, that's not what happened. He, God put him into a deep sleep. And in that deep sleep, it was horrific and dark, right? It was terrifying to Abram. Why? Was it terrifying? Well, listen, if you want God to give you some assurance concerning his promises, he's going to have to take you somewhere that you're not necessarily going to want to go on your own. Because you have this idea of how this should play out and what it should look like and how you want it to happen. And God says, that's not how it's going to happen. It's not how it's going to happen. One of the first things, spiritually speaking, we can look at this as is as uh, a sign of death, right? Abraham had to die to self here to get the answer from God, the answer that God wanted to show him. Because what Abraham wanted and how Abraham wanted it to play out was not going to be how it played out. And you had to put away your own selfish desires at this point. You had to die to self to see how God truly wanted this to happen. So that's one way to look at it. But the other way to look at it is how it played out was not all sunshine and rainbows. We want everything to have a happy ending with a little bow tie or you know, a little bow on the top of the package. We want to, I mean, Abram, I'm pretty sure, was thinking, Lord, give me some assurance that I'm going to see this happen while I'm still alive. And God said, well... Actually, you're not going to see it happen. It's not all sunshine and rainbows, right, Abram? It's not going to happen that way. Right? The future, the answer to Abraham's question was in the future. The assurance that he was looking for was not all, you know, it was, was not going to be that nice bow on the top of the package. There was a dreadful aspect to this amazing promise. All was not going to go well with his offspring, And that's why he was in the dark. That's why it was horrifying. Not just dying to himself, but also what he was going to see wasn't going to play out exactly how he wanted it to play out. But God's promises were going to be fulfilled. So God appears to him in the midst of this terrifying darkness. In the midst of this, God appears to him. And he assures him, and I want you to see this right here, and I do not want you to miss it. You should probably highlight this just so you know. God says, Abram, this is the first thing he says to him in verse 13, 
know for certain. Right? He says, Abram, know for certain that your offspring, this is what's going to happen. Understand that this is exactly how it's going to happen. Have no more doubts. Let's end this once and for all. I want you to understand exactly how it's going to play out. Okay, Abram? Know for certain. Quit doubting. Let's settle this once and for all, right? Let there not even be a tiny bit of uncertainty on your part on exactly how I'm going to fulfill this promise, Abram. I'm not going to leave it unresolved. I'm not being ambiguous about this, Abram. Right? Know for certain. I am, right? The I am. My word is the truth. I will do what I say. Know that for certain. Have no doubt, none. And then he tells him exactly how it's going to play out. Right? Hashtag spoiler alert. It's like the book of Exodus, right? He tells them exactly how it's going to play out. Yes, your offspring, are, they're going to be strangers in a strange land. They're going to be servants and they're going to be afflicted for over 400 years. But guess what? I'm going to bring them out of that land and they're going to come out with great possessions. And I'm going to bring judgment on the nation that they serve. And they're going to come back here in the fourth generation and they're going to take this land. You're going to live to a nice ripe old age, but guess what? You're not going to see any of that. That's how it's going to play out, Abraham. Know that for certain. Right? And just so Abraham understands clearly that God is going to keep his promise, that God does what he says, what? A smoking pot, right? And a flaming torch appear. And what do they do? They pass between the pieces that Abraham had sacrificed and cut. Smoking pot, flaming torch, right? Pillar of cloud, pillar of fire. They pass between the pieces. They're emblems, they're the emblems which God used to represent himself here. And God signs the contract. Abraham doesn't sign the contract. God does. Abraham doesn't walk through the pieces. Abraham's asleep. Abraham probably would have tried to walk through the pieces had he been awake. I I gotta do my part. No, it doesn't have anything to do with you, Abram. Nothing. The Lord made a covenant with Abram. And that's what it tells us, right? The Lord made a covenant with Abram in verse 18. You know, back in chapter 12, the Lord told Abram, come to a land which I will show you. And then in chapter 13, he says, you know, I will give it to your descendants. But here he says, I give it. Okay, it's no longer I will. It says, I give it to your offspring in verse 18. To your offspring, I give this land. Right, from the river of Egypt, which is the Nile River, to the great river, which is, you know, and then to the Euphrates. From the Nile to the Euphrates is the markers he gives here. And he lists all the tribes that are living in that land. But he says, I give this land to your offspring. It's no longer I will. It is given now. Right? This is your land, Abram. God made the the promise to Abram. God signed it. God will uphold it. God will see it through. The events and the timing are in God's hands. Abram, what are you to do? Just trust God. Just trust God. It was a unilateral covenant, which means that Abraham didn't sign anything. It was just God. He just passively watched. Well, God signed it basically for both of them. It was a covenant between God and God. (laughs) Right? And God cannot fail. Right? God's work is exclusively his own and has nothing to do with us. 
Right? The covenant of grace comes from the heart of God. Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. So the question is, do you? Right? In those moments of doubt, in those moments of worry, in those moments of stress or anxiety or whatever that you're going through, do you believe the promises of God? Right? Because just as the word of the Lord appeared to Abram, guess what? The word of the Lord has come to you as well. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. Right? And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, the glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. Right? Jesus is the word of God. And he has come to you. So hope and peace and joy and the riches of his grace and eternal life, guess what? They're all found in Jesus. Redemption, salvation, all found in Jesus. I mean, what more do you need? What can the world offer you in his place? Nothing. Right? For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? It doesn't profit him at all, is the answer to that question. Right? Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. So when you doubt, where does that doubt lead you? Away from the Lord or to the Lord? Right? Are you denying God's promises? Are you desiring God's promises? Go to the Lord. Right? You can, in full assurance of faith and sincere heart, approach the throne. Bring your questions to the Lord. Guess what? The assurances that you're looking for, they will be found in Jesus. It's a guarantee. Just as God told Abraham, know for sure. You can know for sure. Why do I believe this? Because the Bible tells me, right? The Word of God says so. In 1 John chapter 5, verse 13, John says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. Not that you may doubt, right? Not that you may wonder, not that you may worry, that you may know the Word of God tells us that we have eternal life through our faith in Jesus. Have no doubt is what the Word of God says. Don't worry about it. You have it. If you have placed your faith in Christ, you are forever and eternally secure. Have no doubt. You may know this. Right? It also tells us, for example, in 2 Timothy, Paul writes this in, in chapter 1. He says, I, but I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he's able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. Right? I know what I have believed and I am convinced. You can have that assurance. That assurance is in God's word. It is through Jesus. Right? You can know because you have believed and you can be convinced and you are convinced. Right? Hebrews 11.1, 1, faith is the assurance. It's the assurance. That's the assurance you're looking for. Guess what? Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. We'll end with this. Hebrews chapter 6, verses 11 and 12, it says, And we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness to have the full assurance of hope until the end, so that you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Right? We want you to show the same earnestness to have the full assurance of hope have the full assurance of hope that is in Jesus.
Amen? Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for your word, and I thank you for the encouragement and the strength that comes from it, and I thank you for the fact that your word tells us that we can stand firm in our faith, knowing and being completely assured that if we have put our faith in God, if we are put our faith in Jesus, that we are saved. And we can thank you, Lord, for that and for the hope that's found in that. We pray, Lord, that we can just continue to point people to the hope that's found through Jesus Christ. For the assurances that they're trying to find answers to right now, we can point them to where those answers are. We thank you for that, Lord. We thank you for your word. In Jesus' name.